This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Hello and welcome to Plato's Cave, a 3RRR film criticism show and podcast. My name is Thomas Cordwell. I'm joined tonight by Alexandra Heller, Nicholas and Emma Westwood. Good evening to you both. Good evening. Hello. Hey, how's my syntax going tonight? I feel like it's a little Shatner-esque. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Your your pronunciation is beautiful thus far, Thomas. <laughs> thus far, we we we're, what what are we? Twenty seconds into the show, and I'm doing well. Thank you. Um, actually, before we do go any further, just a reminder that we're still in the radiothon pay up period. So, if you have a pledge, a subscription to Triple R, and are yet to actually come up with the cash, you've got until Wednesday the twentieth of September to do that. And in fact, you still can subscribe in this time as well. You know, we have done the big radiothon show. There was the the ten days of radiothon on Madness at Triple R, but you can still become a subscriber by calling at 93881027 during office hours or getting online at rrr.org.au. And you still go into the running for all all the daily prizes as well. Mm. So just a very gentle reminder that if you're yet to do, do that, we would very much appreciate it if you did. Now on tonight's show, we'll be visiting windswept farms in northern England with God's own country. And then over to New Orleans for the Essence Music Festival in Girls Trip. But first, something closer to home. Ali's Wedding is an Australian rom-com that is based on the real-life experiences of actor-comedian Osama Sami, who also wrote the film with veteran screenwriter Andrew Knight. And Osama Sami stars in the film as Ali, which is a a fictionalised version of himself. Set in Melbourne, Ali is a young man struggling to live up to the expectations of his family, including his father, a Muslim cleric. Ali is supposed to go to university to study medicine and marry a girl whom he has been arranged to marry, but neither of those things go according to plan. While Ali's wedding premiered last year at the Adelaide Film Festival, it's just been really gaining momentum now after having screened at the Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane Film Festivals and now it's on a fairly wide general release for an Australian film of of, of this sort. What did we make of Ali's wedding? And isn't it curious that an Australian film like this would come out sort of within a month of the um, the big sick, the, the American film, which I think deals with some similar issues. Yeah. It's, it's basically the it's big crazy. sick down under but without the sickness. <laughs> this is why I don't write taglines for movies. You will never see me quoted on a movie poster. That's <laughs> a really long one too. <laughs> it's just, I'm not good at it. Give me, give me 20,000 words and I'm brilliant. But, yeah, you want like a one cent. I'm not the girl for that. <laughs> yeah, it is curious. That seems to happen though. That seems to be a film cultural thing. I don't know why. You know, that uh, two apocalyptic disaster meteorite films came out at the same time. What were they? Armageddon and Deep Impact. That's right. See, I'm glad my brain recalled that straight away. Wow. Thank you, brain, for knowing that. Total recall you had there. Yeah, I know. Volcano, Dante's Peak. (laughs) That's pretty good. Yeah. Um... I, I guess it's I guess it's because the film does take the sort of cultural temperature of what's going on at the time, and um, that's what's happening here and in the US. But it is interesting that it's both. That probably the more interesting thing is that it's two characters kind of playing uh, fictionalized versions of themselves. That's the the most interesting thing, and. Um, uh, 
with with Ali's wedding, um, it's I found uh, what I found interesting with Ali's wedding is that it is a very American film, despite being uh, Australian. It, I think it played out most in the music to me. I kind of felt like it was Nigel Westlake. I think who did the music. He did Babe. So um, if you think of that, um, it's kind of it's got that kind of American rom com feel to the music. So it felt kind of strange to me. I felt like I was watching an American film at, at times, which I think was meant to be pitch it at the mainstream, um, which I think is actually in this case fairly clever because art art tends to uh, preach to itself and in the preach to the converted, I should say. And in movies, a lot of the time, especially in uh, movies that might be harder consumption wise, they tend to preach the people who go, yeah, that's right. That's right. I get that. You know, people with the same um, mindset. And I think this film is definitely pitched to reach at a broader audience than usual. Um, Hence the really picking up on the commerciality of the music, um, the storyline, the tone. It could have been an, a, an American film, although it was with Australian content, obvious Australian content. So to bring in people and to speak to people who may not usually, uh, who would, who may be the people who don't think along the same lines as what this film is presenting, let's put it that way. That is an interesting observation because mm. this film was co-written by Andrew Knight, who, yes. is, who is a legend of Australian script writing. Yeah, I mean, before this, he, he wrote films such as Hacksaw Ridge and... Um, um, and the water divider. So, I mean, I'm assuming he was brought on to, to, to also uh, to work as a mentor with Osama Asami, who is sort of new to, to, to screenplay writing at this level, but also because he could deliver that kind of audience expectation kind of genre conventions that um, are what you're referring to, to, to make this broadly accessible. I think on one level, what I find interesting about Ali's wedding is that it, it because it is so accessible, it, it is that classic perfect film to take that shitty racist friend or relative that you know too. Absolutely. Um, like that's yeah. what the film is yeah. perfect for. Everybody knows one and it's like you just take them out and get them in there and an hour and a half later they might not be a shitty racist anymore. <laughs> it's like the magic of cinema and I think the film has that effect. I think there's a real kindness and joy there's nothing smug about this film and but what gets me even more about this film is I very 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 rarely find romantic comedies funny Hmm. and there were there were points in this film that I was just howling with laughter which is so unlike me for this kind of mainstream comedy one of them not spoilers one of them is about somebody drinking a coke and one of them is about the Essendon football team <laughs> and both both these moments. <laughs> yeah. Like they, they really, these two moments. And one of them is just a shot, like just an image of somebody drinking a Coke. Yeah. And these are going to go down as like my two of my most joyful film experiences of this year. Um, I don't think the film will go down as one of my films of the year, not because it's lacking, but, you know, it is it, it it is what it says on the packet. It's a really solid j- genre film. It's a really solid rom-com. And but I'm, I'm flawed that it just, it just <laughs> totally grabbed me. It's not any, it's not radical cinema, but it doesn't have to be. It's radical because it's just honest about what it is and the story exactly. that it's telling. It's well, beautiful. It's a story about the Muslim experience in Australia, about Muslim Australians. And I guess we just haven't seen that cultural group represented on screen in a way like this we've seen a lot of uh, you know maybe maybe smaller representations or side characters or we've seen some very negative representations but this sort of reminds me of so many films from the 80s and the 90s which are starting to look at the australian suburbs and the makeup out there looking at the greek experience in australia and the italian 
Putin. And then later we, we got films about the Vietnamese experience. And, mm-hmm. and, and this is, I, I think this is it, isn't it? This is the first one to really engage with the, the Muslim population. And one of the things that I really actually admired about this film is it shows us that the Muslim population is also very diverse. There's no kind of single identity. There's actually lots of different strands and attitudes and different countries that different people come from. And then this film does all that without without being preachy or didactic either. It is part of you know, the, the comedy. And that's what makes it work. This is not a lecturing film. This is not a film saying... Hey, racist! You need to change your mind. <laughs> it's it's a it's an enormously accessible film that if you come out of this still having a very blinkered idea about what Muslims are, you'd be a bit of a dickhead. Yeah, I, I would absolutely a more, more so a absolutely get a get a Kickstarter happening just to like get Pauline Hanson to watch this film on a loop, like Clockwork Orange style, <laughs> like just until you're a nice person, just until you chill out and be 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 nice. I because think I think this is a film that can make somebody who's a bit shit a nice person. I think it, I think, think it can. I think in some ways this is probably one of the most important films of the year, yeah. if you think of it in that light. And and what it is doing is is really is really clever without being you know uh, overly artful or anything like there's, that. It's not precious. There's no, a, there's a great no. sequence in the film which is about the the, betro- the betrothal um, ritual where there's a tea ceremony where tea needs to be drunk in a certain way. I knew, I knew, I know very little about this. I'm, yeah. I'm not um, a Muslim gentleman, so I was, and, and, and the Muslim gentleman in this film was they also confused about it. And it's hilarious <laughs> because it's like we've just completely dropped the ball on what yeah. is the right thing to do. He, he had no idea whether he was agreeing or not yeah. agreeing. And, and it, there's really beautiful comedy that comes out of this. Also some really quality Saddam Hussein jokes. Yes. And I think um, we had the great 9-11 Saddam, joke in... Saddam Hussein impersonation. Yeah. I've never actually heard Saddam Hussein speak, so I, I don't know whether that was accurate or not. It was probably one of the most embarrassing points of the movie on purpose, mm. Um, mm. but uh, very amusing. There was actually one film called Alex and Eve that was um, sort of worked with a cross-cultural. It wasn't specifically Muslim, but it was a Greek uh, it was a couple of years ago it opened the Greek Film Festival and it was... Um, An Australian film? Yeah, yeah. And it was... A, this rings a bell now. Yes, I didn't yes. see it, but I remember reading about it. It's okay, not specifically yeah. from the Muslim experience, but it is a Greek um, man marrying a Lebanese Muslim woman, which is the case in this film as well. So it's not as singularly focused as as this film is, but, um, uh, you know, a similar-ish vibe, if you know what I mean. It, it's funny watching, um, this sounds like a really random point of reference, but a couple of weeks ago at MIF, Nadia Tassa's film The Big Steel with, with Mendo played. Um, uh, that's really funny you should say there's that. something about yep. the, the vibe of The Big Steel. I to- that I'm really with you. Just, totally with you. Which is another rom-com, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's Mendo um, whose parents are, are British immigrants and there's a little bit of comedy played with that, but there's not really any point of comparison narratively between these films other than they're beautiful Melbourne films. Yep. Um, but there was just something about the tone of the comedy, this sort of sense of joy. It reminded me. Yeah, it reminded me a bit of The Heartbreak Kid as well, which is another film I'd seen recently. And and it's one of the films I was thinking of in the early 90s, which was very much about the Greek experience. And again, that was from uh, 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 a young 
woman, I mean, almost, a, you know, yeah, a young woman who was from a very traditional Greek family who fell in love with the wrong Greek boy, yeah. which is sort of the dynamic we have here as well. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like the big Sikh, this is not being condescending towards the traditional Muslim values, nor is it using cultural relativity to try to excuse aspects that may not blend within ideas of what a progressive society would be. It just presents it as it is, and it's sympathetic to most of these characters. It is. I mean, he, his warmth. father is a lovely character. There's not that tension. There's Don not that Hanny. There's Don not Hanny, that generational yeah. tension between the the young, you know, the young and the old. I think that his parents um, are just the the father in particular yeah. in his pink Porsche. What is his car? Yes, I know it's like, a Porsche. And it's his, a Porsche. his mother, who's this manic football fan. Yeah. Like, I mean, they're just such great characters. His his younger sister. They're just really really strong characters. It's and just a yeah, really beautiful... Saddam Hussein the musical, which I, I, I did a Q&A during the, the, during the Melbourne International that Film happened, Festival. Right? That and was that a was thing. a real thing. And the, I mean, it just blows the your mind. The amount of things that, that are real in that... I, I well, the whole Essendon football club yeah. joke was based on a, an incident that really happened. Yes, yep. that was very yeah, I, interesting. I don't want to spoil that. I don't want to spoil moment, it, but yeah. I know someone who's uh, Italian who has been through a similar experience. Jesus, Australian-Italian. Wow. Yep. Uh, yes, when you you see it, uh, you'll know what it, what we mean. Um, but I think it has the, this has the uh, this film had the ability to make the migrant experience very Australian, mm-hmm. and I think that everyone could see that. Even dissenting Australians would be able to see that. So yeah. it's also such a beautiful Melbourne film, and I think I, I mentioned that in yeah, passing already. I've watched um, recently. I revisited oh, Love and Other Catastrophes. Do you remember <laughs> yes. that? The oh, classic, yes. the classic Melbourne Uni nineties, the Gen X film. Yeah, Adrian yep. Martin does the great cameo is like the sexy yeah. shout out to Adrian if you're listening but Adrian <laughs> does the cameo as the sexy film lecturer at the end um, the anti-Kim Gingell but that, that film was shot mostly at Melbourne Uni and that yeah, was like the de- for, for, you know, for so long it was like the definitive Melbourne Uni film and I think that this is back like, to replace uni. it like it's it really is such a great Melbourne Uni film like you know it's the tram stops near Melbourne Uni and it's he's cool. a bit of an, he's a bit of an asshole Ali though really when you think about it that poor woman that uh, is that an actual did he say that that actually happened in terms of the uh, the intended relationship? Uh, I don't know how much artistic licence was taken with how it all resolved. I, I don't know. She but. was a saint. That's all I can yes, say. Sure. <laughs> sure. All right. All right. <laughs> we've been discussing... Lovable asshole. We've right. been... Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. We've been... Anything else? Not you. Good. <laughs> We've been discussing Arlie's wedding here on Plato's Cave. Uh, it's on general release at the moment, so do go and check it out. You're listening to 3 R 102.7 FM. You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3 R in Melbourne, Australia. God's Own Country is the debut feature film by British filmmaker Francis Lee. And it's set in among the farms and small uh, towns of Yorkshire in northern England, where Lee grew up. It's a love story between local boy Johnny and Romanian immigrant worker Yogi, who is hired to help out on the farm with lambing season, as neither Johnny's invalid father nor elderly grandmother are able to carry out the demanding manual work anymore. Johnny begins the film as a morose and resentful man whose only outlets for the drudgery of daily life on the farm are binge drinking and anonymous sex. But the bond between him and Yorge develops his outlook on the world, uh, which changes throughout the course of the film. So God's own country. I'm, shall I just jump in and say I'm completely smitten with this film? 
Aww. This left a very big impression on me. And then that song in particular, mm. it's weird. There's a few films that have this effect where I'm quite focused on the, on the film and it's not until the kind of end credits kick in that I'm overwhelmed by how much I've loved the film. Mm. I don't have that realisation. And I think, you know, the music's very uh, sort of emotive but also I sort of got the moment to, to reflect on what i just seen. And I think this is a really beautifully constructed film as Without well. Without much music at all. Yeah, well, actually, there's all, I don't think there's any music. Well, there's no there songs. A, there's some incidental no, music. No, no, incidental by, by, by some group called A Winged Victory for the Sullen Lambs. <laughs> it's a very suitable I name for a band that. performing for this film. Yes, yeah. yes, but um, I, I, it gives the impression of a rather silent movie. When I say a silent movie, I just mean a silent movie in terms of no music, but yeah. very, very much. Very sparing use yeah. of music. But yeah. um, I think the music, that song in particular that we've just heard, plays such an important role in a God's in God's own country mm. because it's a if if you if we take you know it's a romance it's it's a love story it's a genre film that shuns generic convention mm-hmm. um, yeah. in such a I mean it, it literally opens with the main character puking in a toilet like it's not it's a really raw kind of gritty film in a lot of ways it's very British I don't know if this film could really come from anywhere else but mm. it's also so very British. you know it's very beautiful. <laughs> Um, it's it's an it's an incredibly moving love story, but there's something about that emotional release of that song because it is such a beautifully evocative love s- song, and it's the first time I think that we have a more traditional. It's almost like a little button is pressed when you hear that song. You just watched a really beautiful love story, even though it wasn't presented <laughs> as a really beautiful love story. Yeah, that's a really that's a good um, observation. It, it, it's really clever. I think it was because I I was devastated when that song. That song is going to stay with me. Yeah, yeah. and tonally um, it was it feels British as well. Yeah. Oh, I was just totally when, right. when it was playing. Yeah. I was saying it reminds me so much of um, Billy McKenzie and the Associates mm. when I when I heard it. It's like mm. is, there a, is there an Associates song that I don't know? Like this is just a beautiful. It's a, it's a song yeah. queer, like this beautiful queer love story and this beautiful song at the end. I think it's, it's a 2011 song or 2014. Like it's not yeah. a new song. It's from from um, yeah an album from a few years ago. But um, obviously didn't get a huge release or didn't cross to Australia. It feels ageless. Like it reminded mm. me of David Sil- Sylvie in Japan. That's sort of stuff, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, it feels ageless. And also the end credits show you mm. all this archival footage of young men working on farms mm. from, you know, century, uh, centuries, <laughs> decades ago in England, and there's something about that beautiful nostalgia that you realise this is a filmmaker who does love this country, even though for a lot of the film it is presented in many ways as quite harsh and foreboding. We, we kind of, the end credits, we see his unfiltered view of how he feels about the countryside he's come from, which is not a piece of the world that's traditionally portrayed in a romantic or, or beautiful way. No. Um, Alex spoke about how the film starts. It's quite, you know, it, it's an ugly opening and the film is really visceral. There's there's dirt, there's piss, there's puke. The, the there's sex a really is, nasty sex scene. Yeah. Like, so incredibly really un... It's just, it's not a nice scene that you first see. Mm-hmm. And for the first 10 minutes, I was thinking, I don't know if I want to be in the world of this film. It was like scum. Yeah. It was, yeah. Remember that British film that we talked about last year? Like it was sort of this raw, kind of violent, bleak Britain. And it's yeah. like, and I thought this was a love story. The, bra- the brown Britain. There's yeah. lots of brown. It's very grey and brown. <laughs> yeah. And But it just, it just so convincingly starts to morph throughout the course of this film. I mean, you know, the introduction of this, this remaining immigrant character is the catalyst, but it, 
I, I was really blown away by how this Johnny character, who's, there's not much to like about him when you first meet him. And over the course of the film, you just see this character mature and evolve in front of your eyes until he becomes this really extraordinary person. And, and the love story really does make a, an awful lot of sense. Um, yeah, the film doesn't flinch from the realities of farm life either. Like it's, you know, we see things getting cut up. We, 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 we see animals being birthed. We see a dead animal getting cut up in one scene which then becomes the catalyst for one of the most beautiful scenes oh, of the no. film too. It's and I think that that's, that's amazing this, how that this works. This particular yeah. scene, is, and it is, you know, there is this sort of pattern set up through the film on the brutality of life on the farm in lots mm. of different ways. Um, and there is this particular moment where we really see Johnny changing yeah. um, and trying. And I, I think the word try, the, he, you can see this character who really struggles with language. And then, of course, we have the, the sort of cultural differences between the two main characters as well. But there's this sense of of just how how much effort is going into him trying and, mm. and this particular scene on the farm just, you know, looking after some sheep and a little a gesture that he makes, this thoughtful gesture. Um, really, it's it's a real changing point in the whole film, I think, and, um, and in the development of, of who he is and who he can become. Yeah. And the mm. fact that he's constantly aware and, you know, there's, there, there are points where he, he regresses mm-hmm. um, that I think have quite, you know, obviously have quite important narrative functions in terms of this love story and how it plays out. Mm. Um, but, you know, the, the question I think the film asks a lot is, you know, who, who do you want to be and how are you going to be that person? Mm. So it's a really, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's a really universal story in that, in that sense. And I love that there is this sort of immigrant um, storyline tied into it. But again, it's never preachy. It's never really ramped up to be a capital P politic. Um, and I love, you know, it's, it's, I hope, you know, thankfully it's getting to the point where it doesn't even need to be said that much anymore. But it's not, um, being gay isn't a problem that needs to be solved in this mm. film. It's actually one of the things I think Johnny's kind of fine with. You know. mm. Well, that, it's interesting. When this first came out and screened, well, sorry, when it first screened in Sundance in Berlin, a lot of people were comparing it to Brokeback Mountain, which is... Yeah, um, I've read those comparisons too. Yeah, which at first I rolled my eyes and thought, are we going to, do we have to, every film with two men in love to be compared to Brokeback Mountain? But I've, yeah. I've heard a few people make the case that this film very deliberately evokes Brokeback Mountain. And there are a few scenes where I think it does. And I think the film actually does in many ways unfold with your knowledge of where that film goes and a bit of tension is created there both in terms of how as a culture we accept queer narratives but also what happened what could be happening to the characters in the film and i think it very again without being clever it 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 very artfully skillfully weaves way through some expectations that you might have in Mm. ways that i found uh, immensely satisfying yeah that's interesting that's really interesting and i thought that um you know that that harshness of the environment, the parents, the relationship with the parents. I really love the um, Johnny's parents in it, played by, and I was astounded well, when I noticed. Oh, sorry, father and grandmother yeah, was it? Yep. Okay, grandmother. Um, Gemma was the actress Gemma Jones, um, who is just such a fantastic actress. I didn't pick her for the the start. Well, she's something she, of a chameleon too. She's, she's one amazing. Of those who, she's just amazing. I mean, yeah. you know, she's in one of my favourite movies of all time, which was Ken Russell's The Devils back in 1971. So what else has she like, been in? Because I know the name. Bridget, I knew her face, Bridget Jones's Diary. She played the kind of you know the TV shopping network mother. You know, the one that went. She was in Ang Lee's Sense and Sensibility. She's been in everything. Yeah. Amazingly, she's different in everything and she just in 
embodies her roles so perfectly. She's I mean, a supporting actor, so I, I probably couldn't tell you anything and she'll jump to mind. But, yeah, there's, there's a reason you'll see her. You and have go, seen her. Oh, her. <laughs> yeah, and, and Ian Hart, who played the father. Um, it was just that being able to, you know, that harden the F up environment, you know, that kind of no loving words, everything was sort of about get on with your job, do this, do that, that, um, that still sensitivity could come through. And um, especially towards towards the end, that and I thought that the motivation for that um, that uh, sensitivity was realistic and mm. um, and fit very well with the story. The other thing I want to throw out there, which I found interesting, is when this film screened recently at MIF people are comparing it to Call Me By Your Name which doesn't get a general release until uh, Boxing Day and Call Me By Your Name is another story about a, a, a gay love affair and again I, I I did roll my eyes that really because these two films have yeah queer men in them they have to be compared and people were arguing on Twitter about which was the better film and oh, it was really... Does there need to be a better film? No and I, I, I actually love mm. both films but the, yeah. the one observation that kind of occurred to me, I need to talk about this carefully because <laughs> I don't want to be too unwoke here but I reckon Call Me By Your Name you can tell that was made by a non-queer director where with this film you can tell it was made by somebody who is attracted to men. I think the gaze is quite di- as in <laughs> the camera gaze the is G-A-Z-E. quite yeah, <laughs> it's quite different. I think I think it's uniquely yeah, queer. Yeah. I mean, I think there are sort of deep universal themes in this film for sure. But I think it's it's, it's a very queer film as well in a way that um, I found noticeable because you don't see that view in cinema all that often. Certainly not in the multiplexes anyway. Mm, mm. I don't know. Am I digging a hole for myself here? I was just, or no, I was just of... thinking because um, the, the f- I haven't read every single interview with the director. Is it Francis Lee? Francis Lee, yeah. Um, but, I mean, the, certainly he didn't avoid the issue, that, you know, avoid the subject that this was a, a gay love story. Mm. But that wasn't the focus of what he was talking about. Mm. Um, I mean, a lot of it was, you know, it was a, a very personal story for him growing up in a similar environment when um, and, and the film was sort of him thinking back to a time where he was faced with a a similar question, you know, should I stay on my family's farm in Yorkshire or shall I move on? Um, And just him reflecting on this personal life change. Yeah. Um, And I I kind of, yeah, I mean, there was something about this that really transcended... Again, I, I'm not saying that it's not... I mean, it's a, it's a very proudly queer film. Mm. Um, and, you know, but it, it sort of... It, there is something really universal is where I'm going with this. There was something so incredibly universal. It yeah. wasn't just that. It was... It was there's so mm. much going on in this means, film yeah. just about being human. But I think the way the sex scenes in particular are filmed, I, I, I think uh, it's from somebody who, who innately finds that, you know, incredibly beautiful and, and moving and... and, and, and I, I just know it's just an observation. I just think okay. it's, it's interesting. I, I think when people are coming from the same position of p- passion and attraction, they film differently from people who are more. Oh, I, I, I agree. I've, I've felt uncomfortable with some films that, for example, I felt that they've uh, maybe children have been photographed in a certain way, mm. just a certain, I don't know, something. I always had the problem with Leon, the professional, in that way. It always made oh, me think, really uncomfortable. I think it's part of the idea of Leon, actually. It's, yeah. It's Besson but, being Besson, but yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, it's but about desire. It's just about yeah, the desire you, you of camera. See, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And, and, and it's a very real thing. Mm. And it can really put you 
at ease or uh, unat ease? Is and that again, a word? Well, and, and, and the sex scenes in this film were, were great because again, there was an evolution in the way that their bodies yeah. basically combined with each other, and we saw that evolution throughout the film as their relationship developed and, and, and grew. And yeah. Um, yeah, this film is so good at non-verbal information. I mean, it doesn't have them not speak to the point where it becomes obtuse, which is a mistake a lot of emerging filmmakers sometimes do. They're so paranoid about over-explaining the characters that never tell you anything that you can latch mm-hmm. on to. But as every moment, there's a really smart decision about whether we have dialogue here or we allow a character to express their feelings through a, a glance or, mm. or a gesture. Mm. Um, yeah, this is, is going to be a highlight of the year for me. I, I thought this was a spectacular film. Mm, I really, I really enjoyed it. Me too. God's Own Country is the film we've just been discussing. You're listening to Plato's Cave here on 3 Triple R. 3 Triple R. Girls Trip is a new American comedy in the tradition of films like The Hangover and from earlier this year, Rough Night, where a group of old friends go away for a weekend together and chaos reigns. Regina Hall, Queen Latifah, Jada Pinkett-Smith and Tiffany Haddish played the four friends who travel to the Essence Music Festival in New Orleans, where Regina Hall's character, Ryan Pierce, uh, who is on her way to becoming the new Oprah, is a keynote speaker. Look, nearly the entire cast of Girls Trip are African Americans, as are the principal filmmakers, who include director Malcolm D. Lee and screenplay writers Kenya Barris and Tracy Oliver. Uh, I mention this because often mainstream films made for and marketed at black audiences in America don't get large theatrical releases in Australia, if at all. So the success of Girls Trip overseas, prompting its fairly hurried wide release here, is of some significance. These kind of films don't usually break through the way mm. this one has. And it's been a hell of a lot better than most of the other comedies of its sort. What did we think of Girls Trip? I, um, again, this is precisely the kind of film that I, I traditionally just don't like. It doesn't have Alex written all over I, it. I, I just, <laughs> I, I've, I really suffer through films like this. Like I physically suffer. I twitch and I wiggle and I get cranky and the more they try to make me laugh, the angrier I get. And I almost get like, you know when you see bad stand-up comedy? It's like that kind of embarrassment, like a proximity embarrassment. But I, I was positive, you know, I, I, I really like Queen Latifah now that Prince has gone. She's really the only kind of royal authority that I bow down to. <laughs> and I'm a massive fan of Jada. I I love my Jada. I'm really, I just think she's yeah. awesome. Um, yep. She's the, the thinking person's member of the Smith family, I think. I'm very <laughs> pro Jada. So yeah, this, what's the relationship there? She's the wife of she's Will the Smith. Wife. She's, well, she's, yeah. Let's say Will Smith's her husband. Will Smith. Yes. Will, she, Will Smith she is definitely in She knocks it out of the park in everything she Look, does. I yeah. absolutely lost my shit in this film. I could not stop laughing and I don't, remember seeing a mainstream American comedy where I had that response. It was a really strange experience for me. <laughs> um, I loved it. I, I just I just had such a great time. I just had a really... And I, I understand now why people go and see movies like this. I understand. It's like it's the pennies dropped. I understand that pleasure that people get from, you know, Melissa McCarthy films, which I just watch completely stony-faced. I've never laughed in one of those films. I find them, you know, even... Um, what's the, the, the Bridesmaids... 
Bridesmaids? It's Bridesmaids. Yeah. Look, I didn't yeah. crack it. I mean, I don't think it's a terrible film, but I didn't get it. I didn't crack a smile once in that Spies I thought was just terrible. And I thought that this would kind of be the same, but it was like, oh, you know, Queen Latifah <laughs> and Jada will get me through. No. Nah. Give me, a, give me a good wee joke and I'm done. There's just – I just had an absolute ball. I think comedy, you know, it's obviously a matter of taste, but – The wee jokes joke is big in there's this not, what, what really struck me with this was that there was no moment of winking to the audience. There was no smugness. It was just this really joyful – happy, silly movie um, and it, it just hit exactly the right spot for me and I really bought um, into, I loved I loved the way that it framed um, the narrative around this this Essence Music Festival in, um, or this Essence Festival in New Orleans that is uh, Essence is a magazine that focuses on um, African American women. Yep. Um, did you already say that? I'm sorry if I remember. No, I didn't. No, 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 I didn't. Um, no, Faith and I which, just had a discussion about that before which, the show. I didn't realise that. You know what? Yeah. You look back through the, the the headliners of Essence since it started and it's like, I mean, Prince headlined it two or three times. Oh, the cameos like, are just in this in film. Nuts. It's crazy. It's nuts. Yeah. And it's such a great place to set this story and New Orleans it's such a beautiful New Orleans film it's a real touristy New Orleans film but it's like bring it on I just had a ball I loved it I, I do like this kind of <laughs> film as a rule but, but but often it's a little bit disappointing I mean I, I usually enjoy these films well enough but they often feel way too flabby and you know the, the hit and miss ratio is just not good enough um and and this going, I, I, I was worried by the very. It's over two hours this film, but um, it's pretty consistently fun. There are look, there are moments that didn't work for me as as a rule, but I really like these four characters. They were so broad. I mean, it's part of the genre. They're all very <laughs> defining types, but I liked hanging out with them. It's what you know. It's become very fashionable now to call a hangout film. I just enjoyed being in their company, so I did not mind the running time that at all. Banter. That's just that, that's where this film it's really, really came alive. Nice it was just banter. the banter. Yeah. The narrative, yeah, whatever. Like, yep. you know, the actual plot. Oh, there was a plot, but yeah, the, the banter. <laughs> there was, was a plot, and actually, know. I think there was a point to the plot, I too, think, which I, I quite like. You know, liked. it's actually. Yeah. The, it's really funny coming on the back of um, all of this sort of scepticism about the male feminist brand with all this Joss Whedon stuff that's sort of been circulating recently and then watching this film that I think is kind of having a dig at precisely that, sort of men cashing in on this African-American pro-woman thing. Yeah, um, that's, yes, I think it very I, much I, is, I mean, yeah. I don't know whether that was just like a topical coincidence that that was just in the ether, um, but I think that this film was quite cutting about where the the role of men in, in the the... Um, you know the, the the function of you know or the the project of of these African American women attaining a voice. Well, it's it's also very much looking at this culture of presenting you yourself having the perfect life for everyone to aspire to, and I think the film very nicely uh, works with the phoniness of that idea. Um, but I just want to say the other thing I really enjoyed about this film is the New Orleans setting, and it's mm. it's set and obviously been filmed at an event. I love it when films do that and a lot of the performers on stage you see in the film are clearly actual performers who are there um and then the other thing is you know i'm i'm a sucker for a good dance off and yeah. this film has the most spectacular really, really dance good off. tripping scene i i really admire i don't think that 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 tripping is done really well in films this this film has a really solid really good wee joke very solid tripping sequence <laughs> and with the uh, green Emma. green fairy absinthe which um is very very new orleans or new Orleans, I should say. Um, yeah, I'm the Debbie Downer. I came in and out of this film. I wasn't so uh, so thrilled. I 
started off not being thrilled with the there not being an apostrophe in the title. So you see how I sound really, really uptight, don't I? You're, you are a professional but, uh, writer, editor, though, so that's going to drive you crazy. Yeah. But why not? Is it one girl or many girls' trips? Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I kind of found... Uh, look, uh, the positives about it. I did laugh. I did laugh. I did get laughs out of it. Um, I thought that uh, uh, T- T- Tiffany Haddish, who played that Dina role, yeah, I thought she was newcomer. particularly... She's the relative yeah, newbie. She, she was great. She was a standout for me and she did have lines that went, you know, went places that I haven't seen lines go to for, for quite a while. Um, but there were a lot of... For me, I had this experience watching this film that I remember when I watched uh, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert the first time, which was I kind of felt embarrassed at certain stages. And I felt that the wee joke went for me just was like, oh, no, this is just nah, nah. So there were moments where I just... Moments when I was with them, moments when I wasn't. A lot of the time I wasn't with them because I thought uh, if I was out in the town, these women are probably kind of similar to my age in some way and they're just dickheads. Like if they're the type of people that I was out and came across them and they're thinking that they're being really self-possessed and self-empowered, I'd be like, no, you're just an asshole. So that's that's what I worked for me and I think that we keep talking about this weed joke but the, the, you know, without explaining the joke I think that was the moment for me that I realised that this is a carnivalesque film like this isn't about Mm. the people that you would hang out with there is a really conscious this is too far like it's an extreme film in a way like not in the same not in the way that we talk about extreme cinema but you know the the penis the penises are too long the we goes for too long you know what I mean everything's a bit overblown and excessive and I I really like the excessiveness of this film there was actually a flaccid penis in there since when has that been appropriate for American mainstream cinema Oh, forever. When has there been? No, there hasn't. American mainstream cinema very... Lots of soft cocks. Really? I haven't been cataloguing penis. I haven't seen that many soft cocks. I remember them. I'm speaking figuratively. Oh, you got Jason Seagal did it in... um, Oh, yes, he did in... Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Forgetting Sarah Marshall. No, I was thinking, um, actually, it it is rare, but yes, um, Zack and Miri make a porn. Yeah, there's been penis in films before. Can I give a okay. quick shout out to not the cinematographer like this. of this film? <laughs> yeah. I, so I, the cinematographer of Girls well, Trip is quickly, somebody actually, that yep. I, I have been tracking because he shot one of my all-time favourite films about race in America. It's a film called Suture from 1994. Oh, I remember that. Which is this black and white art film. If you've not seen it, do whatever you can to find <laughs> it. He shot it. It is unbelievable. And I it promised great things for this cinematographer who then went on to go new, do New York Minute with the Olsen twins and Beverly Hills Chihuahua 3 Viva La Fiesta in 2012. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just great, great gardener. I got my eye on you. Uh, Ava Devoney's got a cameo in it too. She does. The there you go. Thirteenth yeah. director. We're going to get out of here. Ali's wedding is on general release, courtesy of Man Man Entertainment. God's Own Country is on limited release, courtesy of Rialto Distribution, and Girls Trip is on general release, courtesy of Universal Pictures. You've been listening to Thomas Caldwell, Alexandra, Helen Nicholas, and Emma Westwood here on Plato's Cave. The podcast version of the show is produced and edited by Faith Everard. This has been a podcast from Free Triple R, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.